We're in a series of messages that is the real Christmas story. And today, you might imagine, we're going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life. And It's a Wonderful Life is an interesting film. In fact, it was, it was produced 1947, and it was a box office flop. It didn't, it didn't go well. But then the 70s and 80s came around, and what had happened by some turn of fate, I guess you could say, they did not renew, Republic Pictures did not renew the copyright, and so it became public domain. And during the 70s and 80s, you could hardly turn on the television without seeing It's a Wonderful Life. Well, they renewed the copyright, now stations and networks have to pay for the rights to use it. But in that interesting history, it is, it's really fascinating to me of, of the run this movie has had, because now 70-some years later, okay, 70 years, the spoiler alerts are going to be all over this message today. So just let me tell you, after 70 years, if you haven't seen the movie, go watch the film, okay? I'm hoping that there won't be any great surprises in some of the things that I share with you today. But let me go through kind of the story for you to kind of set the context of our time together today. As the clips show, that was Christmas Eve, 1945. And there are a tremendous amount of prayers that are being offered for George Bailey. George Bailey is now contemplating suicide. Some things have happened, and, and now the, his family and his friends are beginning to pray for him. Well, that enters the next character in the story, Clarence Oddbody. Clarence Oddbody is the, an angel second class. That means he hasn't gotten his wings yet. Now, let me just stop for a moment. This is all fictional, okay? All right, so just kind of keep that in mind. This didn't really happen, so I don't want to just make sure you all understand that. Clarence Oddbody is now sent on a very special mission to help George in this particular dilemma. And so in the process, what happens is he's going to look back at his life. And so for Clarence to get acquainted with him, it begins when George was 12 years old. And he saves his brother from drowning in an icy pond. In the process of George saving his brother, he loses the hearing in, his, in one of his ears. And so now for the rest of his life, he can't hear out of that ear. He has an after-school job at the drugstore, and a Mr. Gower is his employer. Mr. Gower has just learned that his son perished due to influenza, and he's very distraught. Because he's distraught, he's not paying attention. And there is a prescription that has to be filled. And he fills that prescription, but he fills it with poison. And George discovers that and saves this young person's life. Well, as the story continues, now it's 1928, and George is 21 years old, and he is getting ready to go off to a world adventure. And then off to college after that. And now he's attending... His high school, his older brother, or excuse me, his younger brother's high school graduation. And he reacquaints himself with Mary Hatch. Mary, from the earliest of her recollection, has always wanted to marry George. This, this is the way things are. And now they're walking home. Well, their walk is interrupted with the news that George's father, Peter, dies. And that changes all of his plans because now he has to put family affairs in order and 
and, and the building and loan is, is the business that the, that, that the Baileys have, and so he has to put that in order. And, and there's, there's a, a villain in this story, and his name is Henry Potter. And Henry Potter is the richest man in town, and he has no love loss for the building and loan because it's competition. And he wants to eliminate competition, but he sits on the board of the building and loan. So when Peter Bailey dies, one thing that Henry Potter wants to do is get rid of the building and loan. But the board of directors say we're going to keep the building and loan open as long as George takes charge and runs the building and loan. Well, this just crushes his plans because that wasn't in his plans. His plans were to, were to, to do a world tour and then come back and go to college. But now he is obligated to fulfill that responsibility. So he gives his college money to his younger brother, Harry. And Harry goes off to college. And George begins to manage the building and loan. The one thing he didn't want to do, he is now doing. Well, eventually, George and Mary Hatch get married, and they start off getting ready for their honeymoon, and just before their honeymoon, there's a run on the bank, and they have to use their honeymoon money to, to cover the people at the building and loan because people are in a crisis at that particular moment. Well, finally, Henry Potter just gets so fed up with the building alone. He says, you know something? I can't beat him, so I'm going to join him. I'm going I'm to hire this guy. I'm going to hire George Bailey. So he offers him this exorbitant salary of $20,000 a year. You go, well, that's not very much. Well, the equivalent in today's money is $200,000 a year. George was overwhelmed, and he was tempted for just a short moment to say yes. And then he saw through Potter's plans. Because if he could get his hands on George, he could get his hands on the building and loan. It wasn't going to happen. And so George rebukes him, and out the door he goes. Well, you fast forward a bit, and now it's Christmas Eve morning. Harry Bailey had served in World War II with distinction, and in fact had been awarded the Medal of Honor. And he was on his way home to a celebration in Bedford Falls on Christmas Eve. And in the process of the celebration, Uncle Billy that is, George's uncle, was also a partner with him at the building and loan. He's on his way to the bank to make a deposit of $8,000. And in the process, he's kind of, I guess, giving Mr. Potter a hard time and saying how the Baileys have just succeeded and done so well, and it was just irritating Mr. Potter, and Uncle Billy just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. Well, in the process, the $8,000 deposit gets misplaced into Potter's hands of all places. Billy can't find it. He can't find out where it is. And now a crisis ensues. He tells George, this is what's happened. And George realizes the consequences of this. That now there could be criminal charges brought up because the bank examiner is coming that very day to just close out the books before the end of the year to make sure the building and loan is operating in a solvent manner. Well, George is now facing criminal charges. And he goes home. And he really takes out his frustrations on his family. And it's, you can just see he's just overwhelmed with all of the things that are pressing into his life at that moment. He does apologize to his family and he leaves. And he figures that the best way that he could probably recoup this $8,000 is to go to Potter and ask Mr. Potter for an $8,000 loan. And in the process, Potter asked him the question. He said, what do, collateral do you have? He said, well, i got a small insurance policy. He says, well, how much, how much collateral in that insurance? He said, $500. He says, you want me to loan you $8,000 on a collateral of 500 bucks? He says, you know, George, 
you're actually worth more dead than you are alive. George takes this to heart, and he goes to a bridge, icy water below the bridge, and he contemplates taking his life. Enter Clarence. This is where Clarence comes into the story, and he knows that George is sacrificial and will do everything he can for others. So rather than letting George jump into the water and take his life, Clarence jumps into the water, and George, being George, dives in after Clarence to save him. Pulls him out of the water, and they sit in a cabin, and they're beginning to dry off and having a conversation. And one of the really funny statements, and he looks at Clarence, and Clarence is is an he's an odd body, I guess you could say. He's a unique guy. And George says makes a statement like this. He says, You're about the kind of guardian angel I could get. You know, I figures I'd get somebody like you. Well, in the course of conversation, George says, you know, when it's all said and done, it's probably better that I would never even have been born. Life would be better if I hadn't even been born. And Clarence gets an idea. He said, that's a good idea. I'm going to show you your life if you had never existed. So George begins to see the impact that he has made. For example, he, he sees the fact that his brother Harry doesn't survive that drowning accident at age 12. That Mr. Gower puts the poison in the pills and his child dies. And he has just gotten out of prison because of that manslaughter charge that he had experience. Mary, his wife, is a librarian, never married, and, and, very, and very sober and, and dour. His mother doesn't recognize him. He's turned into somewhat of a, of a harsh, angry woman. Bedford Falls is no longer Bedford Falls. It's Pottersville. Potter has complete control of the city. Well, in the process, George sees the challenges that are there, and and he, and he just appeals to God one more time and begins to snow once again. And George begins to experience a change. So he runs home to await his arrest, as it were. But he's a different guy. He's telling everyone in the city, Merry Christmas. He's, he's championing, you know, Merry Christmas, you old building alone. Merry Christmas, Emporium. Merry Christmas, you know, old movie house. It's just a total change in countenance. Well, he arrives home. The bank examiner is there. He shakes his hand. He says, yes, I'm happy. Merry Christmas, and I'm going to jail. You, gotta, you have a subpoena for me. He is, he is a totally transformed man. And you see this end where all these characters are together, and there's a great celebration, and Clarence actually does get his wings. It's a great story. It's a great movie. I don't know how many times over the years I've watched it. It was one of my mom and dad's favorite films. They made sure that they watched this every year. It's funny. There are times it's aggravating. I will tell you, Mr. Potter's a stinker. There's just no other way to say it. He is a villain of, of the highest degree. But it's also touching. It's very entertaining. But as I've prepared for this weekend... A question has kept rolling through my mind. and This is the question for us to consider this morning. Is my life really wonderful? Because you hear it at this time of the year. You hear a song that says it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You, you, you look at a movie title, 
it's a wonderful life, and I immediately come back to, is it? Is life really wonderful? So for, this, for a few moments this morning, we want to just unpack that a bit. Because if this morning, if you really are experiencing a less than wonderful life, or even as a follower of Christ, you're saying, you know something, there are so many things that press against me, I'm not so sure that I can sustain this wonderful life. What does it look like for me to sustain a wonderful life? It's a great verse, the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. And I use the Passion Translation because I love the way it's phrased. And look at this with me. A thief only has one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come, this is Jesus saying, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. And I love this phrase, life in its fullness until you overflow. What a powerful thought. Life in its fullness until you overflow. As we watch the film, George experiences setback after setback, disappointment after disappointment, unmet expectation after unmet expectation. There are three observations that I pull from that. The first is this. Life can wear us down and wear us out. Now I want to tell you something. There is no more true statement than that statement. Life can wear us down and wear us out. Life is, let's just face it, life is relentless. It never stops. It keeps coming at us again and again and again. And there are times that it's more intense and then it seems to relax and then it comes at us again. After a while we just say, can I get a break? Can I have a little bit of peace? A little bit of rest? You see, all of these things, whether it's financial pressure, work-related conflict, disappointment, unmet expectations, temptation, stress, loss, every one of those we face on a regular basis. And it can wear us down and wear us out. Second observation is that crisis, crisis intensifies are already challenging circumstances. In George's case, when the money disappears, when that $8,000 disappears, it creates a crisis. And all of George's issues intensify. When you think to your own life and the challenges that we face, just in regular life, just kind of the everyday things, and then you throw a little bit of crisis in there, everything else ramps up. Everything ramps up. We roll out crazy possibilities, and we worry ourselves sick, and we blame, we blame everything, we blame everyone, and then, on top of it, we may even blame God. And we would say, God, how in the world can you let this happen to me? Well, there's a man in the Old Testament who basically said that. Job said it, chapter 16. He said, oh God, you have ground me. Look at these words. Oh God, you have ground me down and devastated my family. 
Look at this phrase. God hates me and angrily tears me apart. I was living quietly until he shattered me. Then he set me up as his target. Ever felt that way? I can't get a break. Life has been absolutely relentless. No sooner than I get one thing handled, something else crops up. And then in the middle of that being that, that beginning to blossom in my life, then crisis hits me. And then I pull out of that, and then I'm stressed by this. Then I pull out of that, and then I'm lost. there's a loss. Then it's financial setback. Then it's disappointment. Then it's unmet expectations. And then you come to Christmas, and it's the season of wonderful. And you're going, what? All of that? Wait a minute. And God's even got his bullseye on me. What in the world's going on? I will tell you, I felt this way. I've been here. You may be there today. But that's what's so significant. I, I think what, this, what the story helps us understand. Yes, life can wear us down and wear us out, and crisis intensifies our already challenging circumstances. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. With God, with God, a wonderful life is possible and available. And that's the truth of this season. With God, a wonderful life is possible and it's available. It is not something out of any of our reach. You see, in George's case, everything seems to be crashing down around him. But then we hear George pray a prayer. And I want you to listen to this prayer. Here's what he prays. He says, Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I want you to understand the significance of that. I'm not a praying man, so this morning you may be here and say, that's me. I'm not a praying man, and nor is my life particularly wonderful. Well, I want to encourage you this morning, just as George Bailey prayed, Father, dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. And I want to assure you this morning, God will hear you, and when you call to him, he will answer you. Listen to what Jeremiah 33 says, this is God's message Call to me, and I will answer you. I'll tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out. You see, when George prayed that prayer, something happened. Clarence happened. Now, let me just stop. This is not theologically sound. I understand. People don't become angels. I get that. And God doesn't necessarily dispatch an angel. That's not the point here. But what I do want you to hear is this. When George called to God, God responded. And I will tell you the very same thing is true today. If you call to God, God will answer and he will show you the way to discover and maintain a wonderful life. But you got to call. He will answer if we call. So as I consider my life, is it wonderful? I would say, yeah, but then there are times it's less than you agree with me on that? Not for my life, I'm t- not for yours. Don't agree with me about my life. 
Look at our own. Look at your own. So how do I have a wonderful life? How do I have a wonderful life or sustain it amid all of the challenges that just life throws my way? There's a passage of Scripture I want to spend just a few minutes with this morning that's very popular at this time of the year, but it really gives us a pathway forward. And it's Isaiah chapter 9, two verses, verses 6 and 7. I want you to look at them with me. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Three things that, that Isaiah helps us to understand in regards to a wonderful life. The first is this. Your life matters to God. Your life matters to God. Isaiah wrote these words, prophesied of the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, 700 years before Jesus came. And we celebrate that on this weekend. Or this weekend, we're celebrating that. And he makes this statement. He says, for to us, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The villain in the story, Mr. Potter, flippantly tells George, you you probably remember this a minute ago, he flippantly tells George, you're worth more dead than alive. This sets George on a course of potential self-destruction. Understand this. We began this morning with talking about John chapter 10 and verse number 10, where it says the thief comes to steal, to destroy, and to kill. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you would have life to its fullest extent. You see, the adversary of our soul would convince us that there is no purpose to your life, that your life doesn't matter, that you make no difference, and there's nothing farther from the truth. Because Jesus came with the express reason. He came to us. He came for us. Your life matters to God. Jesus came to this world for you. He came to this world for me. John chapter 3 and verse number 16 from the message paraphrase, this is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed, and by believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. How powerful. How powerful. You see, your life matters to God so much so that He gave His one and only Son for us. Clarence, the angel, told George this. He said, strange, isn't it? That each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Understand, your life matters to God and matters to those around you. The influence you have, you may not be able to see right at this very moment, but your life matters. You are making a difference. The influence of your life is powerful. It's a wonderful life because your life matters to God. Second is that it's a wonderful life because God is greater 
than the uncertainty of our world. It's a wonderful life because God is greater than the uncertainty of our world. Once again, Isaiah says it well. He says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Right after George and Mary are married, they have their honeymoon fund. But there's been a run on the bank, and that wasn't uncommon in the late 20s and early 30s. The economy was so fragile. The Great Depression was in the, it was the throes of the Great Depression had just overwhelmed the U.S. and much of the world. And so, in order to sustain the families who, were, who had all of their money wrapped up in the building and loan, they used their own funds to keep them solvent. It was a crisis. It was a difficult time. There were desperate people. There, were, there, were panic. there was panic happening. And the reality is, the world and its systems today are fragile at best. The New York Stock Exchange, are you kidding me? It's up, and then it's down, and it's down, and it's down, and it's down again. Well, think about this. Our taxes, they rise, and they rise, and they rise, and there's no ends in sight. Been 16 years in Afghanistan. I'm deeply grateful for those who have served and are serving with the blood and treasure for 16 years. The, the, the chaos and disorder in Washington, D.C., the border challenges. These things are the stuff of life. And there's an uncertainty connected to all of it. I understand how uncertainty can grip our lives and how, just for example, it used to be when I was growing up and when many of us were growing up, you got a couple of hours of news every day. That was about it. Thank goodness. Now we get it 24 hours a day. Now we're depressed all the time. It just wears us down. It beats us down. What, what is it? Wears us down and wears us out, right? Because of the uncertainty, and the chaos. But understand something. Jesus said that he came. He came so that we could have life in its fullness and that we would overflow. It is only possible that we can have that life because God sending his one and only son for us. That's the only way that this is possible. And in John chapter 16 and verse number 33, this is what we read. I have told you, this is Jesus, I have told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured and deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. Let me stop. In this godless world, we will continue to experience difficulties. These things are not going to stop. Understand that. Even if we are Christ followers, they're not going to stop. The stuff of life is not going to stop. But listen to what Jesus says next. But take heart, for I have conquered the world. Understand, it is not the financial pressure he has conquered. It is not the chaos and disorder he has conquered. He has conquered the world, which is the source of all of the chaos. And we can have peace because of that. We can have certainty. That's why we can have a wonderful life even when everything is uncertain. The third thought is that God makes provision. God makes provision for all the struggles we face. Really grateful for this. Isaiah would say it this way, speaking of this child, he would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, 
the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. George Bailey is no stranger to loss and disappointment, unmet expectations, family pressures, and crisis, and work-related conflict. It just follows him everywhere he goes. He can't seem to catch a break. Ever feel that way? You just can't seem to catch a break? Well, the truth is, is sometimes the onslaught of the crummy of our life is relentless. It doesn't stop. And I'll tell you, when those things happen in our life, it's not a wonderful life. And it's hard to see the wonder in life when we're hit from every side. And George has seen what life is like if he hadn't been born. And there is nothing good about it. But George prays a second time. And in that second prayer, he just cries for help. And when he does, everything changes. He's come out of this this nightmarish experience of it's Pottersville and all of these crazy things, and he's just overwhelmed by it all. Nobody knows him, and it's just awful. The turmoil is awful, but he prays, and he calls out to God for help. Well, it begins to snow again, and he eventually realizes that things have turned. Things are back to normal, but they're really not back to normal. They're better than normal because something happens in George. He's transformed, and now he is facing life completely different. And he, he leaves this bridge, and he begins to run through the city. And he's trumpeting Merry Christmas everywhere he goes. And understand something. He is accepting now the future, whatever that reality is. There is a contentment that has overwhelmed his life. This is an incredible illustration of the transforming power of God in our lives. You see, when we need the wisdom of God, He is the wonderful counselor. When we need the strength of God, He is the mighty God. When we need the security that God provides, He is the everlasting Father. When we need the peace of God that He provides, He is the Prince of Peace. It's God that takes tragedy and turns it into victory. It is God who takes the discontentment and the uncertainty of our life and gives us contentment, even in the middle of the circumstances that may not necessarily be positive. When life goes sideways, God is able to transform our lives and make something beautiful out of the difficult. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Apostle Paul said it this way, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And let me just underscore something. It is only God that can do that. And God is a transforming God. He can take what has been difficult and challenging and He can turn it. He can transform our life and give us an outlook that produces and maintains and sustains a wonderful life. One more verse from Philippians 4. 4.19 says, In this same God who takes care of me, will supply all of your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God's provision for your life is comprehensive. Understand, there is nothing we will lack, nothing that is beyond the ability of God. And remember this, our God is a God without limits. Hallelujah. There's nothing He cannot do in our lives. D.L. Moody, great preacher of the 19th century, he said, it is impossible 
for that man to despair. Look at this. Who remembers his helper is all powerful. Despair, desperation. No, when we understand who God is, what God has done in our life, we will not despair. It is a wonderful life because God makes provisions, provision for all the struggles we face. So bring our time to a close. Look with me at one more clip from the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> present from a very dear friend of mine. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. boy, Clarence. $1,000 deficit is gone. Harry's home. There's great celebration. And Clarence gets his wings. It's a happy Hollywood ending. But is that real life? Because you may be looking at your own life and saying, that's Hollywood. Things end good. But my life doesn't seem end well. Or at this point, I don't see any kind of a Hollywood ending that anywhere resembles that. In fact, the season of life that I'm in right now is not wonderful. It's anything but. Wonderful is over. Or, I just don't see it. How can we be assured that if we make a commitment today to Jesus, say, Lord, 
I want the wonderful life. I don't, and I know it's found in you. That you came for me. My life matters to you. That even when things go sideways, you're there and you'll provide for me. And the uncertainty of life, you're there. Understand, what, what guarantee do I have? Well, I can only share with you what Scripture shares. Take you back to Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse number 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Notice that? No end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, upholding it and establishing it with justice and righteousness from what? From that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord. Almighty will accomplish this. God's word is declaring that this child who would come for us, who would accomplish and be all of these amazing qualities and provide for us all that we could ever need, a God without limits, says the zeal of God Almighty, the passionate love, the intense love that He has for us will accomplish that which we have committed, that to which God has given Christ to accomplish in us. He'll accomplish it. It's going to happen forever. From this time on and forever. And you notice His peace will last forever too. It doesn't mean in surrendering ourselves to Christ, that everything is perfect. No. Life still wears us out and wears us down. But with God, a wonderful life is possible. God can be trusted to keep His word. A wonderful life is not unrealistic. And it's not an impossibility. Asking God is how it begins. Asking God is how it's sustained. So as we close today, is life wonderful? Is it full and overflowing? That's what Jesus promises. Remember, with Jesus, life remains wonderful even when the stuff of life isn't. Everything we need to experience, everything we need to experience a wonderful life is found in the child, in the child born to us, in the child given to us. All we have to do is ask. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. And I pray in these moments that, Lord, as we wrestle kind of with Is life wonderful or not? I can say, Lord, it is. It is. It's not perfect, but it's wonderful. Because the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace is there for me. You came for me. You've forgiven me. You've sustained me. You, You watch over me. You protect me. You 
provide for me. And Lord, in my sorrow, you lift my head. In my joy, you celebrate with me. You wipe tears from my eyes. You uphold me when I'm weak. And Lord, I pray this morning that in this place and at this moment, at this Christmas season, those here today who haven't yet been introduced to Jesus, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, the gentleness, the beauty of who you are, the love of God in Christ, speak deeply into our hearts, that we would make that declaration today to follow you. Perfect? No. Full? Abundant? Everlasting? Good? Absolutely. Because your word declares it to be true. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So let it be so, I pray in Jesus' name.